Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to Other Minds and Hands. Uh, we are very excited today. I'm once more joined, as always, by Maggie Park. Still live, still in person. Still, li still in person, <laughs> right, still in that delightful season of the year when Maggie is over here in the U.S. So that we're, we're taking able advantage to, of it. Yeah, exactly. Able to actually be together before she heads back home to Wales. Um, but uh, we're also uh, joining you once again uh, from these marvelous facilities here at Studio Lab in Derry, New Hampshire. Um, really excited uh, to be back here again. Um, you see on the the beautiful wall behind us a collection of uh, images uh, by John Howe because it is our very great pleasure to be joined today live by uh, John Howe himself. Um, uh, really looking forward to a conversation today about visual adaptation. John, welcome to Other Minds and Hands. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's just kind of begin first. I mean, obviously, we'll get around to talking about some specific things about the Rings of Power. That's, uh, of course, uh, what a lot of people are thinking about uh, right now. But um, but we really, you know, we've, in Other Minds and Hands, we're really interested in the whole process of adaptation and kind of trying to put specific adaptations such as Other Minds or such as the rings of power in the context of the whole creative process of adaptation and how sort of that works. And of course, you have had um, such a wonderful and illustrious career as, as, as an artist in general and a Tolkien artist in particular, um, going back, of course, you know, working now on the rings of power, working before with Peter Jackson uh, on the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit films, um, and then, you know, stretching back uh, to your artwork before that as well. Mm -hmm. um, so just thinking about your, you know, how this works, tell us, tell us about your, your journey. Um, yeah, your journey. Your, how did you kind of get started in this whole world of, of doing uh, Tolkien adaptations? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I'm not really quite sure I recall. I, I read the books when I was in my early teens. And it's a story I've unfortunately had to tell many, many times. But uh because I couldn't buy the books, I had to get them from the local library. And because everyone takes Fellowship of the Ring out for a month and never takes out the other ones, <laughs> I waited and waited and waited for Fellowship to turn up. It didn't. So I read The Two Towers, The Return of the King, and finally read uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, thinking this book makes no sense. The plot's <laughs> all and uh, so I had a very, you know, regrettable first reading of uh, of of the Lord of the Rings, but uh, I went back and reread it again a few years later in the right order. And it was a very adolescent uh, uh, read through that time. I really retained the, the battles and the epic, the epic uh, episodes and all of the all of the pathos and all of the, the drama. Right. And it's only going back uh, in my later teens when I was in art school, when I finally decided, oh, well, this would be worthwhile really trying to illustrate and i was encouraged by the appearance of the first tolkien calendars where i realized that it was possible to illustrate lord of the rings and uh and have the work published and i believe i endlessly pestered harper collins publishers <laughs> until they finally relented and out of desperation allowed me to do something that's amazing <laughs> and, that's, and then one thing led to another and here we are yeah, the Tolkien calendar is how I was first introduced to your work. Um, I uh, that I I still have, um, well, I don't still have the calendar um, because I cut it up so that I could put oh. your 
uh, images on, uh, on, on the wall because uh, I wasn't I was content to flip the calendar. You see, so I, I, I cut them out and I put them on my wall uh, with FunTac when I was in high school. And um, uh, but yeah, your image of uh, of Glorfindel and the Balrog, of Eowyn and the Nazgul, of Sam and Shelob were some of the the images that just uh, really captured me. Um, and really, one of the first times that I had had that kind of interaction with a visual adaptation really mm -hmm. um i was really um uh just just sort of enthralled uh by those images uh fascinated that you know like you just described like hey this exists mm -hmm. like this is pop there are people who do this you know who 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 make images of this um and i i was just i was fascinated by that so um so let's talk a little bit about about that process. So I know that there are a lot of people who seem to have just from conversations that I've had with people, I get the impression that there are a lot of people who feel that the, you know, the 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 artistic adapt the visual adaptation process should be simple, right? I mean, it's described in the book. You read the description in the book and you make the picture of what's described in the book. Right? I mean, it's it's that's that's the way that people seem to sort of talk about that. But that's of course a great deal more to it than that, uh, right? Yeah, so I'd that, love to hear. Very, that's a very discouraging um, right. reduction of the process, really. Yeah, yeah. exactly. To, uh, uh, I, I honestly believe that, um, of course, you you must not or you should not contradict the book that you are illustrating. You should have that much respect for the author and the and the text. But I find what's more interesting than what's in the book is what's not in the book. Mm. And uh, and that's one of Tolkien's or one of many of Tolkien's great gifts is that he doesn't spend a huge amount of time describing things in detail. He rarely gives us an item by item description of any any person or thing. What he does give us is the emotions of those people who see that place or meet that person their impression and that's much more informative than any description that you can give oh. and you know if you were to take tolkien literally then gandalf's eye uh, uh, gandalf's brows stick out farther than the rim of his hat right uh, which is a little awkward uh, yeah. unless he has a very unless he has a very narrow rimmed hat uh, <laughs> and, and so i i think that the of course the text of course, what the text doesn't say, but also the 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 context that it was written in, the things that the author admired, his or her sources, all of those things are part of the process. So in that respect, how much work did you do before putting pen to paper? Did you find yourself doing a lot of research or do you just sit with the ideas? Oh, I, I, I really should do... I really should practice what I preach because I, I, I honestly don't uh, do a lot of research unless that necessity rears its ugly head. I prefer to 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 read some to read a text and then just see what 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 happens, what comes out. And quite often uh, an image will just appear. And I've learned from long, long experience that that image that appears spontaneously, intuitively, possesses some kind of connection that I may not yet understand because I haven't quite done my research, but some intimate, multi-pronged connection with the text. 
and that means that it's trustworthy in that sense. Then, of course, you can go back in and bring in your experience, your knowledge, your, you know, your craft, and uh, and take it a step further. But I'm a I, I'm a great believer in in this. I almost feel like a matchmaker sometimes, mm. you know, in the sense that um, I'm like a dating site. The text on one side is swiping, yeah. you know, right yeah. or left, and the images are going to appear, and the right one will will stick. Right. That's lovely. Well, and it makes so much sense when you're talking about the text being an emotive thing that shows you visuals. It sounds like you're doing the same thing. There's no need for you to research because you're having the same emotive experience. My mic. Yeah. Well, also, also, I mean, it does depend. You know, the research is an element of it, but it's not necessarily uh, an element that intervenes uh, regularly or systematically. And I think that we do. You know, as especially those of us who've uh, made the decision that we are the most comfortable in fantasy, uh, that necessitates a lot of research because fantasy is our world with an extra layer or several extra layers. So that knowledge is useful and important. And I want to be able to draw on that knowledge and not do what I've come to call design by default, where you simply draw something because you don't know better. Uh, you, you need to know all these things. And to have a, a nodding acquaintance with art history, architecture, costume, weapons, armor, even even biology, botany, uh, geology, you name it, all of those things are of interest because they can they can be an ingredient in your in, in your recipe. Right. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting going back to a comment that you just made before um, about Tolkien not describing things a lot. It's, it's, it's interesting because, of course, I think a, a lot of readers would immediately kind of rear back and say, wait a second, what are you talking about? Tolkien is so full of landscape descriptions, it's boring, right? I mean, that's one of the chief complaints people have about it. But I think I see exactly what you mean. He spends a lot of time talking about the landscape, but he doesn't describe, he doesn't tell you what you're seeing, right? Right. Um, you know, he tends to give impressions and use metaphors more than he gives an actual you yeah, know, like it, visual description. Yeah, it, it, it it's not a it's not a travel guide. It's it really is um, a, a series of impressions, and I mean that 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 comes out strongly through his experience in the Alps when he was nineteen. I'm sure you know Tolkien in the summer of 1911 spent ten days hiking from Interlaken across the Alps uh, to the Valais and exited near Sion, and uh, those impressions are, are are right through the Hobbit. Mm -hmm. and on into Lord of the Rings. And frustratingly, he didn't keep an actual detailed diary right. of his um of, of his trip, which would which would have made us all very happy. <laughs> right. But um but his but but from that point it's easy to imagine that here is a young Englishman who's abroad for basically the first time in his life. You know, although he was born in South Africa, he was very young when he moved right. to the UK. So so we can say he was this was his first European tour. And here he is in the most beautiful part of Switzerland, uh, hiking through the Alps in 1911. This is before hydro dams, high power, uh, high tension um, power lines, ski lifts, ski resorts. Uh, you know, the, the, these are the Alps that, that we'll never know again. And you can just imagine the impression that, that must have made. 
and so powerful that it comes through whenever he talks about a mountain range or mountains in any of his work, there's something of, of Switzerland in there, of, of that first impression. Yes, yes. It uh, makes makes that line of Bilbo's in chapter one of the Fellowship of the Ring when he says to Gandalf, I want to see mountains again, yeah. right? It makes that really poignant, doesn't it? Yeah, it's very beautiful. And, um, you know, and I think that, you know, I, I do believe it is a little bit of an error to try and pinpoint every location in Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit on a map of Switzerland. Right. But you can pinpoint that that atmosphere and that and that emotion that can be generated by this by this incredible encounter. And once again, a Switzerland that none of us will ever know. Right, right. But yes, even the again, coming back to the descriptions thing, even within the text, the line that just popped into my head um, is, of course, Gandalf's description of Frodo in his in uh, in his letter to to uh, Butterbur, like the, that that he gave to Butterbur, right? When Butterbur tells relays Gandalf's description, right? Um, instead of saying, you know, he's this high, this is his hair color, you know, these are his distinguishing markings or whatever, you know, he says he's a perky chap with a bright eye. Right. That's yeah. like, even there again. Mm -hmm. it's, he's he's conveying. He's trying to convey something about his character mm -hmm. rather than actually, you know, just giving the you know the details yeah. right of a physical. And, and that uh, that affords an incredible latitude to anyone who's going to tackle it visually. Yeah. Because how do you depict you know a perky eye and right. and a perky character and a bright eye? Yeah. Well, you know, you've got a lot of room to to maneuver. Right. And I, I really appreciate that that uh, that uh, that liberty, if you like, that 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 guided liberty, I think, is 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 perhaps the best term for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had another what did you have another follow up question? No, I'm really enjoying the, just just hearing you talk about the description based on word. I, I'm just really enjoying this in our bigger conversation we've been having mm -hmm. about adaptation because you're basically setting something visually based off of a few words, but it builds an entire scene. So you can have a perky glint in someone's eye, but that gives an entire feeling to what we're going to be visually interpreting. So yeah, it just fits in well with our, our conversation about text versus visual as a medium. And, and Tolkien, who is someone who was, you know, um, reticent about having his work illustrated, yeah. was certainly not above doing it himself. Right. Right. Um, yes. And you can you you can understand this sort of inner inner um, energy which mm -hmm. needs somewhere to go. And there are times when an idea, and this is something I've been experiencing lately where I've been working on a book, uh, but also working on the illustrations for it. And sometimes an idea, the idea appears and it can take uh, the form of words or it can just easily take the form of a picture or a sketch. Uh -huh. And then it can move from one to the other and one leads, you know, this leads back and forth. Of course, I think I'm not as good a writer as I am with a with a pencil drawing, but um, but 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 I can appreciate the the wellspring of these ideas uh -huh. is the same because it takes two extremely different forms. We consider it different sorts of creation, but it's simply the um, the, the the you know the way that people the the way that the audience receives it. They're going to receive a book with words, or they're going to receive images uh -huh. and they become therefore two different things because they need to be interpreted uh entirely differently but in the beginning 
uh, you know, they can proceed from exactly the same source. Right. Yeah. And that's thinking about Tolkien as a visual artist himself um, is one of the, so I've got a, a sort of a couple questions about that. One is um, how much pressure do you feel coming from Tolkien's art itself? Right. Cause I mean, of course, on the one hand, you know, it, with you doing illustrations of say a middle earth landscape, um, especially if it's a landscape that Tolkien has treated or Tolkien has sort of touched upon. Um, how much pressure do you feel from his paintings as this sort of, you know, there's there's the text and then there's his paintings and then what you're trying to do. Um, how do you find yourself relating to his to his paintings? I'm going to give you a very disappointing answer. Absolutely no pressure at all. Hey, oh, good. I'm glad uh, to hear that. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's his interpretation of his work. Right. Uh, I find it fascinating uh and informative from from an information point of view it gives me another window into his into his thoughts and that's also very precious but it is certainly not a guide to um to to pursuing anything on um, myself and and i'm you know i i'm actually quite it's actually quite amusing to see that tolkien as well was grappling with the same problems that uh, any visual artist does, and if you look at his his uh, famous drawing of the entrance of Bag End, yes, you will see that he's trying to find a, a way to solve the difficulties of hanging paintings on a curved wall. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, right. and uh, take a look at that at that drawing. You'll see he's come up with two solutions, uh, neither of which are necessarily satisfactory. But you can see him, you know, coming to terms uh, in the concrete. From something which is in a text actually quite abstract. Right. 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 Absolutely. In a kind of a similar vein, I wonder because so many of your images have become iconic to the entire readership and viewership, you know, I don't think anybody can picture a hobbit hole without picturing that image behind us. Do you feel any kind of pressure from your own previous creations to maintain that? Or is it then solidified in your brain once it's been created? I'm going to give you a second disappointing answer. No pressure at all. Uh, I, I I don't believe that anything is 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 engraved in stone. I don't believe that any image is permanent in that sense, that it should dictate uh, whatever you do following that. I think that uh, you know, obviously there are images which have a certain uh, what's the word? Uh, I was going to say a certain strength, but that's not that's not what I'm looking for. A certain a certain um, efficiency, if you like, of mm. some of somehow translating uh, a text to to an image. And though those images obviously carry a certain weight, which makes them harder to harder to to ignore. But um, but but nonetheless, no, I don't I don't honestly think that uh, anything I've done obliges me in any way to continue on depicting them in the same way. I, maybe it's time I did a whole new Balrog, you know, maybe it's, maybe, maybe we need a new, a new take on the Balrog. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. All right. That is exciting. <laughs> I mean, that, that's another question that, that, that fascinates me quite a lot is how is it that, uh, how is it that images are created in, 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 in public perception in the collective consciousness, if you like, because if you if you say the word dragon to literally everyone, they can tell you what it looks like, but no one's ever seen one. They've never existed. Right. We all know what they're like. 
And those images are syncretic. They've composed themselves over a long period of time, elements from different cultures. They've combined, they've changed, they, you know, uh -huh. they, they flow from one into another, and they end up being part of us. And, uh, and if you look on the net and type in fan art Balrog, you'll see that there's pretty much, they're all of the same family. So yeah. in that sense, this is now a uh, shared culture. Right, right, and uh, and that's quite—I uh, shouldn't say sobering, but it's actually—it's—it it gives me a lot of pleasure to see that happen. So that, you know, it's—it's it's part of this process of 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 what what we see, you know, and and that is really one of the foundations of modern fantasy: what we see, because we go into it with a lot of information. We're bringing in a lot when we go in to read a book that we've never we've never opened before. This is actually a perfect segue. Um, we're getting a lot of questions. I'm not looking down at my lap. I'm keeping track of your questions <laughs> while we're talking to John. But we've had a lot of questions about your process. Um, and we were looking earlier at some of the images you sent over to us. And if it's okay to talk about Swog's eye sure. now, because you're sure. talking about dragons, we were talking about your process in developing Smog and and this this beautiful sketch is not just an eyeball. There's so much that went into this that... I wonder if you could just walk us through when somebody says draw a dragon. <laughs> yeah, How we, deep we, do you we go? Tried to, um, we actually had a little a little uh, trans departmental team at uh, Weta Digital working on Smaug because Smaug's wingspan is so large it covers many departments from lighting <laughs> to, you know, I mean, many, many different departments. And rather than everybody working on their own, Love it. We, we, yeah. we would get together once a week and go over everything that was being done because it had to advance on you know many many different fronts and that permitted me to simply sit down whenever there was a you know something was needed and quickly do a sketch mm. and uh and and you know we managed to, to you know we're very proud actually a little we actually got ourselves t-shirts not this one but we did get ourselves t-shirts and um and that eye was something that I decided, I, I can't really quite recall, I decided one day to sit down and draw, because it's, it's, a, it's a moment in the film and a moment in the book when Smaug's eye opens. Yes. And that eye defines, in a sense, the rest of the dragon. Uh -huh. So I thought, well, I better sit down and take my time and try and draw something uh, that sums up every every emotion I feel about this character, because also and i'm going to open a quick parenthesis we were not designing a creature into my mind we were designing a character who happened to be shaped as a dragon yeah right and uh and that's really important and obviously you know there's there's a lot of people involved and of course benedict cumberbatch and uh and you know hundreds of people involved in this dragon but just trying to find something in smog which is an alliance of the traditional dragon and the first dragon in modern literature. Oh. Right. Right. And then just in terms of like putting this together, I'm I'm thinking adaptation-wise, we're reading about a dragon, but you're pulling in anatomical drawings. You're pulling in emotion. I mean, it looks like there's a double lid there. There's a, a lot happening in this one idea, but when we do see it on screen, we're not thinking about anatomy <laughs> you know all we feel is emotion yeah i mean uh, every every little snippet of knowledge that you can put in to i think any drawing or any sketch 
is there to help further an idea uh, or an emotion or, or, or a character or, or some character trait. And, uh, and how, do you, how do you make a creature like a dragon um, into a being that, uh, that, that, that humans can actually interact with without anthropomorphizing him? And that's an, that was another challenge. So it's, you know, it's, but, but honestly, all of that, I come up with it later on, you know, I'm not thinking about it when I'm, when I'm, when I'm drawing, when I'm drawing, there's, there, there's nothing happening up here, really. It's all, it's all simply the, can I open another parenthesis? Yeah, absolutely. Please. There, you know, I, I used to, I, I used to think that, um, the process of image making was simply getting what we had here onto some kind of a tangible surface, if you like, some, yeah. some, some, some kind of concrete form. And it was all in there. We just had to get it out. And I realize now that that's extremely wrong uh, to my mind. What we do possess is uh, the knowledge Mm -hmm. the experience and the desire to find images but those images are, are they're out in the world they're, they're they're out there they're out there somewhere and what we have to do is reach out and try and uncover them but they're definitely definitely not in here hmm. so it's and more about discovery than invention you would say i think it is it's i i've, I've almost I, I have said it's akin to archaeology because I, i'm i'm convinced the images are there Mm -hmm. Whether you find them or not is another question. Right. And uh, you know, it's I, I think that um, you know the you know, I've I've often wondered what pushes people to do art mm -hmm. because it's obviously something they 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 need to do. Otherwise, you would not submit yourself to all the difficulties that it entails. And therefore, there's a fundamental imbalance somewhere. But that imbalance, I truly believe, is something that makes you lean towards the world. It doesn't make you lean back into yourself. It doesn't make you fall away from people. It makes you, you know, lean towards them, towards the human experience, towards history, towards art, towards everything that, that makes us what we are. And, uh, and to me, that's, you know, a certain responsibility, um, a burden in some time, uh, uh, in, in some cases, but also uh, a source uh, of, you know, an enormous source of satisfaction, because it means that you're continually out trying to make contact with things. Mm. You know, you we often um, we often go to museums whenever there's a museum on our path. Uh, we make an effort to go in, and you can be alone in a museum, but it is literally filled with people because every object in that museum was made by someone and all those people are present, mm. you know, the traces of their hands and their minds are present. And, uh, and to me that that's really moving because that's, that, that's what it's all about. It's all about people. Our contact with them, maybe through a book, maybe through, you know, a piece of art, maybe through music, a play, a movie, but it's about people. I feel like that taps into so much of how the Tolkien fandom feels about this. So it's it's lovely to hear you say it so eloquently. Yeah. Um, and in the same thread, we've we've had a couple of questions. Um, Kiermaierzi asks, what's the most difficult thing that you've had to draw? I don't know if, if any artist would be able to have the answer for that, but I feel <laughs> the need to ask it. Oh, some things are, 
I mean, the most difficult things to draw are the ones that don't give you enough to, to, to catch on to, to, to get a hold of, to, to you know, the, the elusive ones are the hardest to draw. And they're ultimately the least satisfying because you have the impression that you you've not you've not haven't quite gotten close. Mm. That can be literally anything. It's not so much a question of the the physical appearance of what you're trying to draw. It's more a question of your ability or not to 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 find those points of contact. So there are times when you you know you can do a drawing which which academically is satisfying. But emotionally doesn't 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 really do it for you because you haven't quite found that that uh, you know that sensation. Does it help if you have more text versus less text? I mean, we know with Rings of Power we're working with less, less text. text. Yeah. Um, is that somehow freeing or not relevant? Um, I I wouldn't say it's not relevant. It is. It is. Uh, it doesn't matter. I really think that it's, you know, sometimes there's a lot of text, sometimes there's not much. I'm good at ignoring texts if I if if I'm afraid if 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 they don't really speak to me. So, you know, any errors I make are ones where I haven't simply simply haven't been attentive. You know, and I, I'd like to go back to the fans on this one because uh I rely on them a lot because, you know, I'm certainly not going to go back through all 13 volumes of the history of Middle Earth looking for some detail. But I know full well that on the internet, some fan has, you know, set all that up and it's all there and I can just go type in a few keywords and find the information I need. So I'm I'm very grateful to those people for the, you know, for the incredible encyclopedic work that they've done. And uh, and it makes life, you know, much, much, much less laborious for people like me, because I'm certainly not an expert uh, on Tolkien. I've got a, a certain familiarity with it, but um, but I'm certainly not an expert. Thinking about that, coming back to thinking about your process and you talked about kind of being, um, you know, not not thinking. Right. And just sort of drawing and seeing what happens after that. Is there do you find that there's sort of an evaluation stage? Right. So you draw something and then you look at it and 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 decide what whether it's I mean, you you, you use the, the 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 dating site metaphor right sort of swiping through the images and saying no 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 maybe yes right um so is is there a, a kind of evaluate an evaluative process and how much of that process is about then kind of coming back to the text and saying okay i think that that's kind of treating what's there or... Ooh, I'll, I'll have to try that sometime <laughs> I, I honestly I, I honestly don't um spend a lot of time dwelling on artwork that's done right uh, uh i know i am aware that sometimes i've got something that 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 i do like right uh the reasons for which may may escape me uh when you know at, at that moment but um but but i'm i'm more interested in 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 the next drawing uh i'm more interested in 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 what i can where i can go further you know uh i mean there, there are several types of of of, of of artwork of course there are sketches which are really incidental and quickly done mm. there are drawings which are halfway between a, you know a sketch and a painting because they're a little more they take you need to do them a little slower they need to be a little more finished and then of course there are full color paintings but um but concerning sketches a sketch is there to ask as many questions as as, as it gives answers 
And when it's doing neither of the above, then it's done and you can move on to the next one. Uh, that process is something that you have to go through to do a finished drawing, but it's assimilated into the drawing itself. Uh-huh. And of course, for a painting, you have a sketch in the beginning, and then you need to be, you know, director, um, cameraman, lighting expert, you know, all of those, all of those things rolled into one to try to try and do a finished painting. And in that respect, how much do you get to stay involved in the process? Do they come back to you out to do the 3D grading and the composite at the end and all of that? It depends entirely on the nature of the production. Sure. Uh, some productions, uh, uh, you're, you, you can be involved from the very beginning right to, right to the time it, it's, it, it hits the screens. Uh, others, it's a much more compartmentalized process. It really depends on the, on the structure and on the director. I'm like, I got one more on that. And then, and then in the same vein, are you involved in costume creation and architectural concept? I mean, every single specific aspect. We know we are involved in architectural, I suppose, but I'm thinking of the costumes of Numenor and the detail that we saw in some of those. I, I mean, I love working across the board. Once again, it, it's um, each each pros, each project is very different, and uh, and this you know the, the the huge difference with Rings of Power compared to 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 other projects I've been on is the length of time uh, and the amount of screen time that needs to be generated. So I've been working now for the better part of three years on Rings of Power. Wow. Uh, you know, starting with the map of Numenor. Uh, working on seasons one and two, so it's been a while. So since since I started, and um, and it's still all fresh and new. Oh, what a gift to not be tired of it after so many years. That's wonderful. Yeah, is is there is there a life after Tolkien? Uh, you know, is is there? Aren't you fed up? This is the question I I do get a lot. Aren't yeah. you fed up with Middle Earth? Uh, you know, haven't you had enough? Which I suppose is a way of telling me, why don't you do something else for a change? But um, <laughs> but, but 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 honestly, uh, you know, there, there there's a good example of that in on your board behind you, actually, the the kingdom of um, of Angmar, mm. which was a piece of concept art done for the Hobbit, and uh, the number of times that uh, that you're working on a you know a landscape. And you're standing somewhere, obviously, when you're working on it, and you're looking out into the distance, and you're thinking, "Oh, you know, I wish the script would take us there." And of course, it doesn't always. And that that happened to me on num, you know, any, any number of occasions. Uh, you know, looking out towards the Blue Mountains, looking out towards Angmar, uh, wondering what's beyond Gundabad. You know, wishing the script would take us there. You know, we wanted so badly to visit the wizard, the the, the withered heath. Yes, mm-hmm. point was was one of the things that we were thinking of, and uh, and you you really regret that. Uh, no, you have to stick with the script, and there's a lot to illustrate. But um, but just that to say that even within the scope of the Hobbit, which is you know quite a, which which is a book which is quite local in scope. Yes, there's so much that we just never touched on. No, so I, I I have the impression we I I barely personally barely scratched the surface of Middle Earth. Yes. Oh, it's lovely to hear. 
Yeah, I can say, you know, John, I certainly relate to exactly what you're <laughs> saying. Um, you know, I've been now, I have several thousand hours of classes out there on on and discussions of Tolkien over the, over the years um, that I've been broadcasting. And people ask me the same thing. Do you ever get to, I mean, you're going through the Lord of the Rings again? How many times have you done this? You know, and, um, but I, I have exactly the same experience, that sense of just scratching yeah. the surface. There's always so much. I'm, I'm also one of the enduring um attractions of Tolkien which we thankfully we we easily forget between readings is just the beauty of the language oh. and and it, it's it's almost many parts of it are, are almost made to be read aloud you know I, I never understood the what is it, the iambic parameter in and no iambic pentameter in in Tom Bombadil's speech it's yeah. uh, Trochaic, but yes, exactly. Trochaic. Okay, sorry, got yeah, it. Of no, course, no I was going to get it wrong. <laughs> no, uh, but yes, no, exactly, and, and that's such a wonderful example. There's so many people. If you don't read it aloud, you don't realize that all of his dialogue, like everything yeah. he says, is in the same meter as his, yeah. as his songs that he sings. No, um, it's it's it's. I mean, the the best experience I had reading it aloud was. Uh, I was reading, I'd read The Hobbit for my son. I was reading Lord of the Rings for him. And he was still fairly young, but, you know, young enough to have, you know, five or six pages a night. And um, and we were getting towards the end. And uh, and I was reading away and we were, I was thinking, right, I've got another, you know, 15 or so pages. That's another two evenings. And, uh, and we, you know, and they were getting ready to go to the Grey Havens. And I heard this, 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 this I, I heard sniffling from the bed. <laughs> My son was, he's laying in the dark. So it was so sad. And I, I thought, no, I can't leave him like that, you know, until tomorrow night. So we just carried on yes. right to the end. And it was one of the most beautiful experiences I've had reading a text Aww. because it was, it was just filled with emotion. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and not so much from me, but from the, you know, from my audience of one. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and that's that's very moving and it's easy to forget that, mm. you know, and it's also easy to forget that you need to you need to devote the time to reading properly. Mm. Yes. And, you know, because we live in such a high speed world, it's hard to sit down sometimes and read 20 pages yeah. or we skim through. And, and the worst sin we, 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 we make is that we skim through things because we've read it several times and we think we know it already. Yes. 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 But no, you you you've got to you know you've really got to read it as it was meant to be read. Yeah, could not agree more <laughs> with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I also absolutely. think it's it's similar to what you were talking about before we started broadcasting. These fresh eyes. There's there's a gift that can be brought to having fresh eyes to something you think you know so well, and you know being able to experience something for the first time. It's obviously hard to do that for us now, having looked at this so many times, but it's not impossible mm -hmm. either. And it's so refreshing yeah, I, to see it through the eyes of your son or. Yeah. And, and that is the gift that, um, that, that, you know, the, the, although fans are demanding, although they are, you know, uh, you know, quite a fascinating crowd. That is the one gift that they do bring is their view of what, of, of, of what you do. And sometimes it's disconcerting. Sometimes it's surprising. Most of the times it's it, it's comforting uh, because you have the impression that you've actually touched something uh, important. And uh, but but it is very interesting. And uh, you know, I know I've, I'm 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 always amused and interested and intrigued uh, 
when 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 you know I've I've had people tell me uh, come up to me and tell me you know Gollum Gollum doesn't look like that. Right. I said, okay. And how does he look? Well, I don't know. Not like that. Mm. <laughs> so, you know. So, yeah. but but then be it, to be able to say that you need an image of Gollum to, you know, to compare. So, so it's uh, yeah. You know, it's it's a very interesting. I've had a you know a very you know hundreds and hundreds of fascinating encounters with people who are are fans of the books, and other and other uh, and other authors, other books, but. It's clear that the Tolkien crowd are, are are perhaps the most passionate. We talk about that a lot on this show. Of yes. they can't do that. Well, they can, but right. you know, your frame of reference might be a little different. Yeah, and uh, you had wanted to uh, thinking about um, you know seeing things fresh and everything. Is you had mentioned earlier that you were interested in a comment that Peter Jackson had made um, uh, recently in the Guardian about that. Oh yeah, yes. It was it was a recent article uh, where the journalist was basically uh, commenting on Peter's remark that he would like to he would like to get a brief memory wipe in order to be able to see Lord of the Rings without knowing how every millisecond of it was made. Oh. And uh, and the journalist uh, told him to to snap out of it. But I think that's to misinterpret what Peter was saying. Uh, I think it was a wistful remark, and I can certainly relate to the to the, to the burden that any creative professional carries into any uh encounter with anything especially their own work and uh you know i i i i would love to be able to do that to be able to see my own work without knowing it was me if you right. like yeah uh this does not mean that i want to lose my memory entirely but um but but to have that freshness of approach to actually be able to see things without without all of that all of that luggage yeah absolutely um well so thinking about again this sort of process of discovery and we were talking about sketching uh and things of course one of the sketches of yours that has received a lot of focus here over the last couple of months uh has been the uh the the famous uh, uh snow troll or ice troll uh, uh sketch here um for the rings of power show um Tell us about that. So again, and what I'm interested in here, we were talking before about, you know, illustrating things where there's a lot of description and illustrating things where there's very little text. Uh, of course, this is one of those filling in the gaps things, right? Where we're not dealing with something that Tolkien described at all. Um, what's your, it, t tell us more about that process. Like when you sketched this and you found this, uh, this guy, uh, you know, sort of unfolding under your pencil as you were sketching. Um, what is it about it that makes you feel, okay, this this works. This is uh this is this is right, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I, I did I think about um seven or eight trolls for that on pursuing that theme. And uh and they're all quite different. Uh but it's there th there's a moment when it's really hard to say the any sketch is a dialogue uh with three people involved or three entities involved if you like one is the theme so in this case the mention in the script of a of a snow troll yeah. uh, the other one is of course the person who's holding the pencil and the third participant is the drawing itself mm -hmm. 
and this is a true dialogue. So if if one is doing all the talking, the other two can't get a word in edgeways, it's not a dialogue anymore. So part of the process is aligning the speed of your thinking with the speed of your pencil. So if your thoughts are miles ahead of your drawing, then your 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 hand is struggling to keep up and you and, and you do a, a very sketchy, you know, uh, not unsatisfying sketch. If your mind is not progressing at the same speed as that drawing, then you tend to spend too much time on, on details which have no no mm -hmm. point in, in 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 having that time spent on them. So that form of equilibrium is already important. And also you need to remain attentive to circumstance because the pencil can have a mind of its own and i can really understand writers who say oh the character just got away from me and took me you know somewhere i i never suspected pencils do the same thing oh. and occasionally something will happen in one of those gestures that will open up a whole new avenue of exploration a whole new a whole new idea and you'll make a u-turn in the middle of a drawing and pursue that because suddenly the idea has evolved so that that back and forth is really important. Mm -hmm. And I think there was probably a more efficient, harmonious back and forth for that drawing than for the other the other trolls I did. Though I do have a really creepy one that I really liked. But, um, but you know, maybe one day. <laughs> one of the questions in the chat was actually about a drawing that you loved that didn't get used. So hopefully, hopefully one day. Oh, we'll we oh any any film project. That's all we do are drawings that don't get used. <laughs> I think that, you know, the amount of artwork generated by an art department for a project like this is absolutely enormous. And that artwork is part of a process. You know, you, you, you can't, you, you, you've got to start with something. So with the script, with the, the description from the showrunners, with the thoughts of the art director, you need to produce imagery. From that imagery, a discussion can take place, and then it can go somewhere. Yeah. Uh, occasionally, it goes right to uh, from A to B in one drawing. Sometimes it's a process that takes, you know, literally dozens and dozens of, of drawings and paintings. Sometimes something can be taken all the way to, you know, as far as it can possibly go before being abandoned. Mm. Uh, you know, Smaug, for example, for um, in in The Hobbit. We, I initially initially drew him with four legs, very much like um, Tolkien's drawing in uh, Tolkien's you know own drawing. And uh, six months before the film came out, Peter said, "You know, I think he'd be cool if he only had two back legs, and his his arms were his wings." So we redesigned Smaug. You can't just cut off you know that 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 extra pair of legs. And uh, but you know that's so that's all a process, right? And uh, and I think that the the key to surviving uh, in this world, where those you know, none of the none of these drawings are important in themselves. They are part of a part of a, a path, if you like. And the key to surviving uh, in in that world is that every time you've put a huge amount of work into something, which is subsequently ignored for any number of good reasons. Or you're simply asked to redo something that you thought you'd done particularly well depicting. Mm. You need to accept it as a challenge and a new opportunity. Mm. And you think, right, here we go again. This time I can do better than I did. 
and if you if you maintain that attitude then it's it's literally purely pleasure because nothing nothing is ever wasted nothing is ever lost you're building on what you've done even if it's not used such a healthy attitude <laughs> we did I, I honestly think it's you know that's 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 how any any collaborative process needs to be like that you know that's... i mean it's, it's it's not always easy um to do because most ma many artists you know we're used to working alone mm. we're basically all little monks in our little cells all by ourselves struggling with our little paintings and our own little universes but then suddenly you're in the middle of a team of several hundred people you need to open up and you need to relax and you need to simply say that right this is this is it you know this this is a, an important op, uh, operation and uh and and you need to have that you know that that positive energy i think is 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 absolutely crucial I think you've just answered my question, but Ravenwolf in the chat asked about how you keep up with the production demands, because this is such a long shoot, as have been the past projects you've worked on and the physical side of it, you know, just the amount of drawings and the holding of a pencil and how you don't have permanent carpal tunnel and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's 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 one of the beautiful that's one of the beautiful things about drawing in general. Unfortunately, not quite as true with the computers because we do have to sit in front of them quite a lot far too much for my taste but generally i tend to work in a in in one of these and uh and i have a very comfortable chair in which i can sit or i can you know go anywhere i want to work actually and uh and all you all you simply do is relax and empty your mind and concentrate on the theme and see what happens so it, it's not exactly a difficult job in that sense uh sometimes it can be very difficult finding the right idea of course but you know it, it's not a it's not a hard I, I shouldn't say it's not a hard job because then they'll try and lower my salary but um <laughs> having too much fun but 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 it is a a job that um that, that gives you a huge amount of satisfaction uh, if you if you do get something that you feel is really really corresponds to how you saw it, beautiful. Yeah, and it's also you know it's it's a portion of the process you in which you're involved when you're doing your own artwork, your own your own finished paintings. Yeah. I actually it's been a while since I've done a painting. I, I realize I, I'm looking at the other side of the studio, which is which is probably under a layer of dust right now, and. Um, and I can see an easel with a painting that's been sitting on it for 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 literally months oh. that I haven't had time to get back to. So I, you know, I am looking forward to get getting getting away from the this machine here and the and the sketchbook and getting back to actual painting for a bit. Oh, right, right. So I'll do that in my spare time. <laughs> good, good. So I want to I want to run something by you. This is um uh, just a. a a sort of a, a Tolkien theory of mine. Um, but I thought that you would be a good person to ask about it. Um, Cause I was teaching, uh, I taught a series um, of little uh, online um, discussions on the history of Middle Earth, uh, the, the specifically the history of the Lord of the Rings, um, looking at his you know manuscript process. And 
Christopher Tolkien did such a brilliant job of, of kind of walking us through uh, his thought process going through. And as I was kind of teaching my way through those books, um, the, I, I, I sort of arrived, found myself arriving at this theory about Tolkien and about how his own creative mind was working, thinking about Tolkien's own process in the ways that you've been describing your process. And I, I, I got the conviction that Tolkien, when he was imagining, especially when he was imagining places, um, that he was primarily thinking first and foremost as a visual artist. Um, mm. He would he would sort of start with the pictures in his head mm. and then he would, and sometimes I think you can see this when he actually is doing sketches in the margins, mm. uh, right, of of some of his manuscripts, like his uh, his famous Orthanc uh, sketches mm. and stuff as he's, you know, as he's describing. Um, and I just, the impression that I got, it would, I could probably like, I would take a whole book to 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 write for me to write a whole. I, I'd have to write a whole book to tr try to back it up or prove it. But um, but my theory was that for Tolkien, he was, I think, even in some ways, first and foremost, a painter, a visual artist. That like that was that seemed to me the way that that was that was always his first contact with this world that he was imagining, and then the words were kind of mm. his way to try to capture in words, yeah. you know, some of those things. What do you, have you gotten anything like that impression with Tolkien? I mean, just as somebody who is a visual artist yourself and working with and doing, going through that similar kind of process with Tolkien, does that, mm. does, does that make sense to you? Do you, or, or do you well, think, uh, you know, that's not so? Well, that, that, that seems to me to be absolutely clear is that um, he, he, he is painting with words. Mm -hmm. that, that's all he does. Right. That's why his work is so visually rich for 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 people like me is that um, his his words are nothing but uh, the resume of what you of, of what you're seeing when you read them. Right. And, uh, and and he's one of those authors. And there are, you know, a number whose work uh, simply calls out to be illustrated. You know, it draws the the images out of you. That's that. That's how powerful it is. There are many authors that I can read with a lot of enthusiasm where I don't see images mm. at all, and those those authors are more self-contained. Uh, what it is exactly about Tolkien and his capacity to evoke uh, and to evoke uh, not only emotions but the images that accompany them, uh, you know, I, I I couldn't really say, but but I totally agreed. I think he's 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 writing paintings basically is what he's right. doing. Right. That's yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. We've awesome. got two minutes left. So is there anything oh, else? Great. I know, right? This is the problem, John. We have too much. Really fast. It was. Goodness. You want to yeah. stay for another three hours? We're good at that. Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can do this all night. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, there's, there's a lot to say, you know, and I think, I mean, I, I, I honestly do believe that artists should all be under restraining orders and not allowed to talk about their own work. Uh, but, but nonetheless, I think there are a lot of important questions that are raised by the simple uh, creation of imagery mm -hmm. and the place that it can, you know, the space that it can occupy simply by existing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've, I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of many, many, many turn of the century, late 19th century, early 20th century illustrators and artists and uh who, who who enrich me considerably just by you know just by looking at their work and i think that um 
our capacity to actually read and appreciate imagery is 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 really really important mm. and to understand imagery uh why it works why it doesn't yeah. uh to, to to have a you know some kind of a grasp of the you know of the of the simple narrative visual narrative in any painting of the internal logic of the of the extended narrative what happens before the painting depicts a scene what's going to happen after all of that is really important all of those are ingredients in this sort of soup uh -huh. that is either 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 edible and very tasty or 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 just no no good at all. So there's there's an awful lot that goes into all of this, and that may sound like I spend all my time, you know, like Rodin's thinker, like I'm mulling over of all over all this. But please be reassured, it is entirely after the fact. Uh -huh. When I'm drawing and painting, I'm not thinking at all. I, I'm trying to maintain this contact with the theme that i'm trying to explore mm -hmm. whether it's a text whether it's a script whether it's a description uh whether it's my own work or someone else's it doesn't matter and quite often another person's work is even more attractive than your own because it's new mm -hmm. and you know all of those things i think mean that you're given this opportunity to establish points of contact uh within that theme and through that theme to establish points of contact with other people and if you manage to establish enough then you know you get that return on your work if you like yeah awesome. beautiful did that make any sense yes you're yes. so eloquent john it's i could listen to you all day <laughs> no this is wonderful yeah. and i said this is exactly the the conversation we've been so excited to have and you know we hope to have you back again later on we can maybe talk a little bit more specifically about some of the uh the visual elements of the rings of power mm -hmm. maybe maybe even after the first season is is going away as you say so we can we can watch it through to the end uh and then uh, no, no no spoilers no spoilers, no spoilers no exactly spoilers. um but uh but yeah no so we, we hope to have you back to to do a more uh, a sort of in-depth discussion of this project in particular, but it's been so good being able to uh, have this more free-ranging discussion about the artistic process and the adaptation process in general. It's been fascinating. Thank you. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for Thank having you me. Much, John. Thank you very much. Take care. Talk again soon. Oh, brilliant. Wonderful. Okay. Um, I'm off air. <laughs> no, I think you have to act physically leave if you want us off air. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're we not just, broadcasting we, anymore. We just continue on. So. Right. We're, yeah. We're, yeah. we're okay. talking for a while. <laughs> so, but, yeah, feel free uh, to right. well, enjoy. <laughs> but enjoy you're very welcome yourself. to stay, obviously, if you'd like. Thanks again for having me. And um, good. thanks, and John. Until next time. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Thank you. Man, there's a lot to think about that. I know. Uh, a very great deal. There's so many things that I was I was just so grateful to listen to him speak because the way that he described words to visuals, I yes. just feel like it just fits so well with not I mean, I think we know this because this is kind of our field, but he knows this because this is what he does. Yeah. And yeah, it was just very reaffirming to hear him say Tolkien is a painter. He just uses words as the medium. Yeah. And that's it's so and again, I was coming back to one of the points I was emphasizing. Um I think there are a whole bunch of Tolkien readers who would be shocked to hear him say, Tolkien doesn't describe things that much. Right. Right. But he's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, Tolkien tries to capture, um, he, he spends a lot of words talking about things. Right. 
but he, what he's not doing is the kind of uh, like you imagine. I, I think, for instance, um, you know, we have um, uh, many of our uh, uh, of our and, uh, we have a, a bunch of people in our community who are blind. And so sometimes when I'm looking, I could, for instance, uh, they'll be attending one of my Lotro streams or something. Mm-hmm. And so I'll be describing what's on screen um, because I know that they can't see it. And so I'll be trying to like, just, just convey in words exactly what I'm seeing. Right. Yeah. And, and exactly what, what's happening. That's the kind of description Tolkien doesn't do. No. Right. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't tell Factual. us. Like, hey, it, it, yeah. was, it was this color and here's how the lighting was. And he was this tall and this was his hair color. And no. this is, that's the kind of thing that he doesn't do. Instead, again, we get the perky chap with the bright eye, right? Mm-hmm. We get, um, and I think of the, you know, his, his landscape descriptions talking about trees and he doesn't, he'll sometimes mention like the species of trees mm-hmm. that are there, but he will, um, just as often he'll give us this like long metaphor to describe how like uh you know the 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 trees in the valley were like the masts of ships do you know he'll give this extended simile or he'll he'll get into this metaphor yeah. or multiple metaphors uh to try to capture as john was saying like the emotion like yeah. the feeling of that like what it was like to be frodo looking down into that valley rather than but that's what's so powerful picture. i think for us about tolkien's text is that yes you're looking at a landscape but you're taking in all of the history of the person having that visual experience yes. you know they understand what ships are what harbor did they see them in you know right, right, right. all this stuff is feeding into their own interpretation of what they're looking at and so is your own yeah i keep sorry i keep hitting my mic <laughs> i talk with my hands a lot more than i thought um but so was your own so when he was talking about that dialogue between three people when making an image it it's no different in my mind from a viewer watching a film and a filmmaker creating that film from a text you're having this dialogue between the people which in and of itself explains why so some people are so angry because they're not having a conversation right they're having a very one-sided i'm not listening to you i'm not listening to you i'm not listening to you i'm just getting mad because it's not what i'm picturing yes yeah, it was yeah. just such a beautiful image to. Yeah. And for we've, him to paint. we've talked about some of this before, but I, I wanted to. I've been, I've been, I've been itching to kind of theorize a little bit, okay, get, to get a little abstract because I, I every, so much of what John was talking about was kind of making me think this way. Um, but I, of course, I didn't want to. And I, I, I felt like I needed a dry erase board while I was oh, talking. Oh man, I I'm know. Like, yep, I'm like, keep going. I, I kept switching to like make notes and stuff. And I was yeah. trying to read your question, so I'm sorry that I didn't bring up as many as you guys were saying. But I was like, I can't not oh, listen to man. this. Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay, okay. Right, so, theorize. 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 And then okay, we'll so, take a look at questions. Because when he was talking about, um, when he was trying to get at both how he arrives at an image. I mean that that mm. image of the the dialogue. Trialogue, technically, Trialogue. right? Between the theme, like the concept. Uh, the words on the script. The pencil. Not even the book. Right. The words on the script. Right. And the pencil mm-hmm. and his mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Or himself, because he said it wasn't in his yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. In his brain, right, exactly. But, um, okay. And then when also when he was talking about connecting with people. Yeah. Right. Okay. So... All right, theorizing, and I'm theorizing off the cuff, which is like I feel like you're gonna make my brain hurt. I'm ready. Okay, 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 okay. So the question is, what is the matter? Right, you've got the book, you've got the words on the in in the text, right? But of course, the words in the text are just trying to capture Mm -hmm. something, Mm -hmm. right? And Tolkien himself talked about how what. What he was capturing was not what was in his brain. He spoke, Tolkien, and I mean, I was really struck by 
I don't know how much um, time John Howe has spent like reading Tolkien's letters and Tolkien talking about his, like how, how much time he spent in the history of Middle-earth, for instance, looking at Tolkien's draft histories and stuff like that. But I was really struck by how similar um, that, you know, emptying the mind, right? Mm -hmm. it, the process of discovery rather mm -hmm. than invention. Tolkien was all about that. Mm -hmm. He was constantly um, speaking like he was listening to characters talk. Um, you know, the jokes that he would make to Christopher about like how if Faramir doesn't stop talking soon, he's going to have to be moved to the appendices, you know? Um, uh, you know, and how he he, he met yeah. this this charming, you know, Gondorian captain, but he just keeps talking and, and I don't know, <laughs> you know. Um, anyway, so like, again, that, that act of discovery. So again, yeah. the um, my overall theoretical question, right, mm. is sort of like, what is the Lord of the Rings? What is the story? What is the thing, right? The heart, the essence yeah. of the thing. In a sense, of course, the books are all we have, right? And that's a, a restraint that we operate under. And yet, that's not the thing. Mm. Because Tolkien wouldn't have said it was the thing, right? That was, it was the medium through which exactly. he was trying to capture the thing. I mean, this feels like it's bordering on a theological conversation. Because well, yes. it's really comparable, it, it, it right? Is. Yeah. It is really comparable. And then, of course, when we were thinking about Tolkien as visual artists, yep. that there's a sense in which Tolkien's words are actually two steps removed from the thing, yeah. capital T, yeah. right? Because there are times when he's not just trying to capture that thing in his words. He's trying to capture his mental picture of the thing in his words. And structure it. So, he, yes. I mean, he sees the thing, but he's also trying to deliver what he sees in some sort of a structured, understandable order. Right. And in that editing process, what else is lost or changed or interpreted differently? Right. And so to go back to what John was saying in his pictures, he was talking about connecting with people. Yeah. Right. That that's what it's all about is connecting with people. So in a sense, the painting, like the drawing, John Howe's drawing itself is also not the thing. Mm-hmm. Right. That the thing is like it's the conduit. Right. It's the, the drawing is the conduit. Yeah. Connecting him with the person. Mm -hmm. So the person is looking at the drawing and having and they're imagining and experiencing a thing. Right. And he in his. um, It's sort of in his process and in, in, over the course of, you know, he's sort of experiencing this thing, too. And it's kind of coming out mm -hmm. through him. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's not his invention, mm -mm. right? He himself is also, it's it's a thing that's mm -hmm. kind of coming through him. Um, and that same process is happening with Tolkien, right? So it's just all of these things, um, I think of all this stuff in connection with the basic adaptation question that we've been asking since episode one. What does it mean for an adaptation to be true? to the source text. Yeah, I mean, that brings right. us right back to the language situation. And as you were saying that, I couldn't help but think about something really basic that we're all familiar with, news broadcasters. Right. If they all are reporting on the same story, think yes. of all the news outlets from The Sun to The Guardian from... I, Sorry, those are both UK examples, but far <laughs> right. right to far left, tabloid right. to traditional, right. you know, right. Fox News to NBC to CNN, like all these different perspectives of the right. same event are completely different. And that is down to interpretation and projecting to a recipient. Yes. That's what this is. Yeah. We're all, we're all, John Howe is looking at something that theoretically we could all have the same look at. Yes. But he's giving us the conduit. Yes. To interpret it. And this then, coming back to the theory here, when we're reading yeah. the text, there's another thing involved, right? That is the thing that our imagination is doing. In because, of course, reading, when we read a book, we're not actually experiencing 
Tolkien's book. Like the book is a conduit between mm-hmm. us and Tolkien, mm-hmm. but it, it's not a d- hard line to his brain or no, his imagination. And I think we did talk about this before. It's also yes. really different where, you know, if somebody says, uh, I always use Harry Potter, but like, you know, the Daily Prophet, right. I'm picturing what that newspaper looks like and how right. it's laid out. If I right. only see the film, that's somebody else's vision in my brain. So right. you're losing that imagination, imaginative right. element. Right. But that's like, it's, and it's inescapable. Like so yeah. when people talk about, I only care about what's in the book. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. That's not even possible. Like that's not how reading works. And that's clearly not how Tolkien works. No. And I loved hearing John Howe affirm that. And he is a painter. Yeah. But he uses words. But he uses words. Yeah. Exactly. So um, we have to be thinking about, so there's, there's that thing that's kind of coming through John Howe's drawings, right? And there's the thing that Tolkien was trying to convey through his images and words and words about images. Yep. And there's that thing that we are, we have in our own minds when we read, mm-hmm. none of those things are exactly the same, Mm-mm. but there is a kind of conversation. The, the, the conversation. Yeah. I was going to say, and this is a strange metaphor, maybe I was going to say community, like they exist in a kind of community. No, I think that's fair uh, because it also other. grows like a community. I mean, when you think about, when he started doing these images and what did he say, the seventies and, and becoming the persistent Harper Collins door knocker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you think the seventies, there wasn't much for him to go on to help him form this world. 30, 40, 50 years on, we have a lot more to build this community. You know, we went from a tiny village to a major metropolitan area in terms of influence and voices and platforms. You know, there's so many different ways that people engage with Tolkien now that it has to grow. It has to remain a changing conversation. Yeah. And just, and so that idea that, um, and again, I, I still haven't figured out how to convey this in a way that doesn't sound like when people, when people have, as so many people do, and I, I can't blame them. Like, you know, it's only a small subset of us that spend a lot of time doing literary theory, right? Like it, you can be excused. For not it. Not doing literary theory, but, but anyway, so when you have a, a kind of a simplistic idea, like a simple idea, I won't say simplistic because that sounds insulting and I, I don't mean to be insulting at all. Um, when you have a simple idea, of a book and reading the book, right? Um, and you have this idea that like the book in your head, mm. right? The story that's in your head um, is the book, right? That That is like what Tolkien wrote. Like, so you've got what Tolkien wrote in your head, yeah. right? And, um, but you don't really, like mm. that's not possible. I mean, you can memorize the text, sure, but if you're using your own imagination at all, and you must, you can't not, right? But if you're using, when, to, and the extent to which you're using your own imagination, which everybody does, mm-hmm. and the better the book is, the more you're doing that, right? Then the product that emerges is, um, is, uh, is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a different thing. Mm-hmm. It's a separate thing. And it's therefore different for every person. This, I, I, I began thinking about this in my teaching many years ago. I had a, a very, um, uh, a very wise colleague who said, because um, I'm, you know, trained as a medievalist and, and, and taught medieval literature for many years. Um, and one of the things that really annoys a Chaucerian is people saying that Chaucer is boring. Mm. And I'm like, holy cow, first of all, like, 
how can anyone say that Chaucer is boring, right? Chaucer is like outrageous, satirical, hilarious. Like you can find him not funny. Like it might not appeal to you, but to say like, oh, he's just dull mm. would be like, you know, it would be like saying what, well, you know, Robin Williams was a was a very dull conversationalist, right? right. right? Like it's like you you might not like him, but yeah. you can't say that. Like that's just ridiculous. <laughs> and so you know, so a Chaucerian be like, Chaucer isn't boring. What my very wise colleague said was, no, the Chaucer that is in the head of that person is boring. Mm. Like that person has a boring Chaucer in the, and it means that yeah. What it means is they haven't gotten it, right? Like, like that, that, that they're, they're, they're not seeing. Yes, because um, that's the other thing I would say is that they're, stuff. you could also say they're bored by Chaucer. Yes. Because they're not having that that dialogue. Right. They're reading the words. Right. And they're and not you know, processing. Whether it's some level of, you know, comprehension or context or whatever that they're lacking, um, the, you know, the richness of, you know, humor and mm-hmm. everything that's there in Chaucer just they it's not there like mm-hmm. the chaucer in their head is not there mm-hmm. right um and at the end of the day the chaucer in their head is what matters and so i began thinking about that more and more as a teacher you know and my challenge began to be like so how do i as a teacher help to introduce people to like the chaucer that the chaucer i know that's in right? your head yeah the chaucer yeah. in my how can i share that with yeah. people but not just to be like here's what i think about chaucer right, right. but to help them have an encounter yeah with so like I, I I would sort of think I would think of myself as a teacher as a, as like a not a tour guide um like a I don't know like a person who introduces people to other people like a like a party host like a like a matching app it's like a dating <laughs> exactly. app that was yeah. such a great yeah that's such a great metaphor for <laughs> yeah. that yeah where you know where I would be like you know being like students. Chaucer, yeah. Chaucer, students, right? Yeah. And like, let's see if we can get to know each other a little bit, and 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 you can you lead know, a horse you... to water and all that, right, right? But I mean, I would, I think you can take it away from Chaucer and do the same thing here because, like many people, I'm sure the Samarillion is not everybody's favorite, right. and Samarillion right. was was not my favorite until right. I started engaging with some of the things that you talk about and other ways to engage with the text that made it more real and you understood the depth and then you do get an appreciation but it took a while yeah i didn't like it at 19 when i was required to read it for a class you know yeah and so when when you come back to again the um people's readings and their reactions and that the the lack of self-awareness about that right you know so people who just make unequivocal statements Mm. right things like um the silmarillion is boring right Right. And again, like in the, the Silmarillion in their minds is really, really boring. Um, if I could somehow, you know, get some kind of brain to brain direct connection, you know, if I if I could do the Elvish telepathy thing. Right. And just they could open their minds to me and I could see what they Mind see melts. in their minds. Yeah. yeah then um, then I, I don't know what I would see. Maybe what I'd be seeing is just like a list of hard to pronounce names mm-hmm. and, you know, a bunch of descriptions of the boundaries of kingdoms. And right. yeah, that's pretty boring. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I don't know. It's a, like one guess at like the, you know, what the boring Silmarillion looks like. Right? You're like, so what like is that? that? Um, but um, uh, but anyway, the, the problem is when people have this, the problem is not so much with the people who find it boring and reject Tolkien entirely. The problem is with the people who love Tolkien and don't, realize that the the Tolkien that they love, right? The story that they love isn't Tolkien, like it's not the words in Tolkien's right. book. It's it's the book in their minds. Um, and that they are involved 
in a process of adaptation. Everybody is involved yeah. in a process of imaginative adaptation when you're reading. That's an inescapable part. And indeed, of course, one of the most rewarding parts of the reading experience. Um, and so thinking about that and the way it just, again, the, the parallels between how John was talking about his process and, and what I've seen in Tolkien's process and, and thinking about reading in these ways and the ways in which there's this sense, of, as you say, it does get kind of mystical or theological, mm. right? There's almost this sense that like, okay, the thing, capital T, right? Like the story itself, what it is that we're all, what Tolkien was grasping at, what John Howe is trying to do through his drawings, what we are experiencing through our readings. It's like that thing exists out there, right? Independent even of Tolkien but himself. But no one can define right? it in one way. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody can define Even Tolkien's own book yeah. is an attempt which he would be the first one to say is an inadequate attempt. And he changed his mind or yeah. misinterpreted or however you yeah. want to phrase it multiple times. I also I can't remember the exact thing. I'll have to watch the recording, but John Howe did it. He contradicted himself from the beginning of that hour to the end of that hour. And now, of course, I'm forgetting the instance, but I'm like, right. we all do it. Yeah. Yeah. Creative yeah. people and interpretation, it adjusts and adapts. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, that's, it's uh yeah, there's... And there's so many different factors to it. So now I'm on going off. There's so many different factors to it, too. I mean, we're talking about creative process and feeling the story and representing that in a visual medium. If you want to talk practical side of it, when you're bringing in budget, location, filming, timing restrictions, studio access, right. you know, so many different things that can affect that interpretation. It makes it almost easier for people to nitpick and say, oh, well, that's not how it is. Well, they had two hours to turn something out. Right. Or Amazon, they have a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of resources. And what did he say? 80 people or something on his, his development team? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the practical comparisons to the artistic process they all have to be taken into account, I think, right. when well, contemplating even when meditation. Think, yeah, even when you think about um, other, even more basic forms of limitation, like pencil and paper, <laughs> like the flatness of paper, yeah, right, uh, and the monochrome nature of your pencil, mm -hmm. right. I mean, these are all limitations that you can get around. I mean, looking at, I mean, you know, I still, yeah, I still have it up here. Like looking at his uh, the snow troll here, yeah, right. Um, that you can see the ways in which, as the wonderful artist that he is, he is overcoming the restrictions of the flatness of the paper and the 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 monochrome pencil and things, mm -hmm. right? Um, great artists do that, right? But that's the great artists can overcome even the like this is we've got two hours and we've got to make it happen and and uh, and no, we can't do it that way. I know this is yeah. how you picture it in your head, but for practical like filming purposes, we can't represent right. that we can't do it that way it's got to be somewhere else some other way um that's that's what artists do and hearing his attitude when he said you take that as a challenge when they remove two legs off smog and it wasn't wrong how it was before it was here's a new way to interpret that character and isn't this a great opportunity i mean yeah what a lovely perspective to have for a right. job that could otherwise be so frustrating yes yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So no, it's 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 fascinating to think about. Anyway, so that was the that was the theorizing that I that I was wanting that to was do. Fun. I, but and I think it's it's get on board with that. It's so helpful to think about. And I really wish, as I say, I I'm 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 still I'm still searching for ways to talk about this more effectively with hostile people. <laughs> <laughs> that is with people who who feel because it's so easy to feel if you're not 
kind of again so, sort of self-aware about the process of reading yeah. and the the involvement of yeah. your imagination and stuff um then it simply feels like an attack right i mean yeah. because you're convinced the pictures you have in your head right that the, the you're that this is talking yeah right and you know this is straight from the book and it is, and there's a sense in which that's true. Sure. Right? I'm not denying that. I'm not saying they're incorrect or wrong or anything like that. I'm just saying it's actually, no, it's actually the picture in your mind, even the memory of the text, yeah. right? Even when you're recalling what the text says, um, there's still, there is a sense in which, and again, nobody likes to, you know, people's eyes glaze when English professors talk like this, but there's a sense in which the text itself is it doesn't really exist. Mm. Like it's, it's not. Um, and I don't say that um, I used to. So confession when I was in college and even in grad school, I hated it when like death of the author stuff. Mm, I hated talking geez. about death of the author yeah. stuff. Um, and what I felt myself was the desire to, def because I felt it was a degradation of the text. Mm. Right? I felt it was a demeaning of the text, right? To be like, well, basically that the, the conclusion was, so the text doesn't matter. We can, you know, not quite chuck it out, but whatever, we can kind of patronize it, right? Mm. Because what really matters is like our own responses or whatever. Um, but um, but it, it's, this is not that at all, mm -mm. right? This is not at all about that. This is, it's, it's not about saying, it's not about marginalizing the text, saying that what Tolkien wrote doesn't matter. It's just of recognizing that what Tolkien wrote was not the end, but the means to the end, right? It was, as you said, the conduit. Mm -hmm through which Tolkien was trying to connect with us as readers. And on that one small thing, it, I, I just don't think we can take it out of context of the bigger process. If, right. I think if he wrote The Lord of the Rings 30 years later in his life, we would have a very different story. Yes. So we're getting a snippet. And like you're saying about the, the angry discussions, the people that we find it very hard to have those conversations with, if they're not having that try conversation, the trialogue. Right. Right. It's really hard for us to have a dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. If it's so long as you believe that you have this, and, and this is, I guess, at the end of the day, this is what I where I think the problem of purism lies, is that there's no such thing mm. as a pure but they think there first, is. Exactly. So it's and then they get very defensive because Absolutely. you're telling them that's Absolutely. not a real thing. Yeah. And, and again, and, and so it sounds like an attack, right? It sounds like saying like, you know, yeah, that you actually, you think you know Tolkien, but you don't know Tolkien. Like, right. that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you, so it's it's hard. It's we hard know it differently. About. And yeah. I prefer yeah. to incumbent it from this direction. But also I was an angry fan when I was like 16. Me too. You know, there's, yeah, Absolutely. there's, there's an arc. Absolutely. to engagement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was absolutely an angry fan. And I could absolutely tap into that energy again if something came up for something that I dearly love yeah. and haven't gone through this yeah. process for. So. I mean, everyone will notice how I did not at all yell at John about Balrog wings. I mean, look, check it out, people, right? Like, we've, look at, I mean, uh, you know, John Howe is conspicuously guilty on the Balrog wing front. Hang on a second, I'm, I'm queuing up... Uh, well, queuing up some of these images. I was immediately curious though if you were like, oh, are his hobbit feet hurt? Oh, fine? yeah, man. I, I was gonna talk about that, but we didn't have time to talk about that. Uh, well, I'm gonna we'll come back to the hobbit feet kay. when we uh uh when we when we get them back up here. Look at this. Look at these look at these winged balrogs all over the place, right? Right? I'm yeah, not, I'm not yelling at him about that. They're pretty substantial. Yeah. Also yeah. mohawks. Mohawks, mm. yeah. Mohawks that too. Definitely looks like an ACDC cover. This kind of does. Mm. This is a very metal Tolkien <laughs> illustration. Iron Maiden right circa. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Um, 
It really is. But anyway, yeah. So like, again, it's, it's not about, um, and again, had I been in the same place that I was, you know, 25 years ago, I, I'd be a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have been, I'd have been coming at him about that because that's wrong. Right. But yeah. So what's, what's changed is my own understanding, not just of the text, but of how text works. And, and again, the more I've come to realize um, like John was talking about, like what matters is, is the two people, the people. connecting, yeah. right? Um, and not just two, but like people, people connecting and the way in which art is designed to be, whether it's visual art, whether it's literary art, um, uh, it's, there is a way in which it does connect people and the, you know, bring people into the community of connection to that thing whatever that thing is but that's you know, also what can thing. be so difficult you know when he was talking about the museum going by yourself but feeling like you're in a room of hundreds of people because you have you know the person that made the canvas the person that made the frame the person that made the paint brushes that mixed the paint the painter the guy that hung the you know, all those things combined it's a very broad community but it never feels like that when you're reading a book it is a single relationship between me and the text and it's private and it's usually in you know a quiet room and I create the imagery. So it doesn't feel like a community. So as soon as it's opened up and other people's interpretations are allowed to enter, you get very protective and defensive. Because there's almost like an invasion of privacy. And there's a, an, a forced conversation. Yes. I didn't want to have a conversation, yes. you know? Yes. And that's sometimes the feeling yeah. that I think people get with adaptation. And this, I think, is where is one of the things that fuels that passionate, that sense of like, they're going to ruin Tolkien. Yeah. Right. Like somebody is coming into my, um, what, what, wherever you read, right? It's, you know, Your space. Coming into my space. Yeah. And is going to take Tolkien from me, yeah. right? Um, is going to ruin Tolkien for others, and right? Um, and I get the, I, I, yeah, I get right. the feeling totally. You're right, uh, that that sense of privacy. And you think mm-hmm. back, especially to books that you read as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, books that have been your companion for all, like as long as you can remember, practically in life. And uh, it's so intimate. Mm-hmm. It's so intimate. Um, and it really is like friends i mean we've all had that experience right of and like formative the, yeah you know i mean there are some books that make us who we are so if you're then having somebody coming in and show you you're, no you know it's i understand the reaction very strongly but i do think it takes a certain space and person and openness which can only come with thinking about this or spending time with different things that you can kind of take that step back it does almost become like a meditative practice like i know i talk a lot about film yeah making and the practical side of it but so much of it is still this kind of open-mindedness coming to a piece of art and being willing to receive yeah yeah and that's where it becomes theological again what is so freely given right right <laughs> yeah um and of course i know there's um uh you know people are, are are wanting to kind of push back against this which i totally understand because mm-hmm. uh, let me come back around and 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 say none of the things that i'm saying right now mean that i think that any possible like adaptation is equally good Mm. Um, or that there's no such thing as something being more or less true to the original or good or bad. There are definitely bad adaptations, but I think they're bad adaptations. Somebody might think they're great. Yes, Mm. maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, Yeah. So I, I, I don't mean at all to say that like, um, yeah, the, the upshot of all of this theorizing, 
It's definitely not. Therefore, turn off your critical faculty, right? Mm-hmm. And just because everything is, uh, um, you know, everything's like equally fine and you should be able to connect with everything and like Tolkien is everything and everything is Tolkien. Like that's not the point mm. really. Um, what I would say is just that it's much messier. It's not simple. It's not simple. It's certainly not. And that's the biggest problem I think with purism is that at the end of the day, yeah. it's a simplistic way of approaching, not just adaptation, but the book itself. Yeah. And it's just, it's more complicated than that. I do think, yes, I do think there are ways in which we, you know, I, I would, um, I do think it's possible to take two adaptations and say, I do think that this one is closer to the spirit of the book, Mm -hmm. that this is truer in a sense to what the author seems to be doing in this book than that other adaptation is. Like, I absolutely do think that you can say those things. And so, again, I'm not at all suggesting that that kind of critical judgment isn't possible. What I am saying is slow way the heck down. Yeah. Like, because it's so much more complicated than you think it is. Mm. Um, and it's important for us to, it's not that like we all have to theorize like this all the time, but um, but it's just, it's just not that simple. Um, and um, we have to acknowledge that it's, that it is really complicated. And this is where, this is where, although we don't necessarily, you don't have to say, oh, I don't think okay, it's all, it just embrace relativism blindly, mm. right? That's not the point. But the point is you can agree to disagree with people yeah. because, and it's, and that's okay. Like you don't have to, if somebody else does have a very different picture of Tolkien in their mind, if you have a difference with somebody else about what you think is okay or not okay um, in, you know, sort of level of, 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 you know, fidelity in a, in an adaptation, you're not right and they're wrong. Right. You have different perspectives and they're, and, and just remember that you're not just sipping from the pure well of Tolkien's brain and when you're reading the book. Lordy, that's the difference, isn't it? You know, when somebody is trying to prove that you are wrong and you are horrible and you clearly can't believe but uh, yeah hang on yeah, yeah. slow down because i also liked what john said of of course you can just enjoy a simple adaptation it doesn't always have to have this right. level of engagement and theorizing i can read a book that is just the words on the page and enjoy it and i can just watch a film and just enjoy it but isn't it fun when we get to dig into something like this that does have more depth, that does have a wider community and yeah. bigger imagery around it. But that also means more interpretations and yeah. more yeah. butting of heads because people do see it differently and maybe haven't theorized or thought about the different ways that they could engage with it or someone else could engage with it. Absolutely. Too stuck in their own mindset to open up the door to say oh you see it that way interesting right. you know that's not usually the reaction you get you see it that way you're wrong you're wrong you're saying, <laughs> and again that yeah. doesn't mean that you have to then turn and embrace the way the other person sees no, it. no 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 you don't again i'm yeah. thinking about like conversations about politics like right. i have no interest in debating politics with anyone i have lots of interest in discussing them because then it becomes a dialogue right, where if you can learn things, right, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be open to that perspective and say, oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Or, oh, I really don't think of it that way. But, you know, yeah, to each their own. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, uh, Christian Thompson asked an interesting question. Where do you draw the line? When does an adaptation stray from the source to the point of its existence as an adaptation being questioned? This basically comes down to the, the question of how do you define the word adaptation? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I hear a lot of people, um, you know, I, I'll I get people on Twitter saying things like, you know, if it doesn't do X, Y, and Z, it's not an adaptation of Tolkien anymore. And I think that this is what people are getting at when they are slightingly using the word fan fiction to mm-hmm. describe um, the Rings of Power, um, which again, I think is a ridiculous thing to say, just because I think it's a ridiculous- As if it's a bad thing. Right, yeah. understanding. Like the, the use of fan fiction as an insult is, uh, is but I, that seems to me what they're getting at here, mm. right? That like adaptation requires- a certain, certain level, level like, of as, 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 you know, Christian says, there's some line somewhere, yeah. right. Where, if you cross that line, um, and, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, Christian, I would say, so let me give one example, how to train your dragon. Love it. Right. Um, do you know the books? No. You know the books? Just Love the, the films. And okay. I know they're very different than the books. Well, that's exactly it. Yeah. Right. So Oops, sorry. the film names of characters are the same Mm -hmm. mostly Mm -hmm. the setting is similar some of the basic concept that is like vikings with dragons is from the book right but the plot events characters are just there's not even an attempt Mm. they're they're they're, it's this is not a we change some stuff it's a we told a, a completely different story. But using the same character names. Using the same character names well, in a similar risky. setting. And, uh, and, and so, I mean, that's... So, Christian, for me, like, it's hard for me to consider How to Train Your, the How to Train Your Dragon movie as an adaptation right. of the book. That's tough. Because it's, it's, it's not... But but again, that, that in some ways, that one's a, it's a simple example. It's not telling that story, right? Because yeah. what, exactly what's gone is the story. Like the if, story is not the same story. But if you had said that all. they had changed all the characters' names and stuff, my first question would have been, well, could it exist in the same world? Right. Because that's acceptable. Right. Yeah, in a sense, something which is like the inverse of How to Train Your Dragon. Mm-hmm. Like, had they been telling the same story, but with very different characters in a very different setting? Mm-hmm. Um, that would actually feel to me more like an adaptation than the how to train your tra- tra- how to the actual how to train your dragon movie does, but um, uh, and it's I mean I shouldn't talk too much about this because I've only seen the movie once and I've only read the books once, which means I barely know either one of them. So I, I you know have no expertise on this uh, on that on that particular one. But that one was so striking to me when I was I was yeah. I found myself so mystified. Well, and that's kind of what we were talking about with like close and loose adaptations, right? So like, you know, I might have said it in the previous episode, but the example I always use is Twilight because of course I did a load of work on that one. But one of the first adaptations of Twilight, Bella Swan, the lead girl, was a track star at Brigham Young University. She's a klutz in the book, so what? And Edward was a normal human on the run from the FBI. No mention of vampires, no mention of any of that stuff. Why even call it Twilight and use Bella and yep. Edward? Because that's not at all an adaptation. And this is, of course, exactly the, the language that I hear people saying. Yes. Why are they even using Why are they Tolkien even... if mm-hmm. it's so loosely? Yeah. And it's that kind of conversation I think would be really interesting to have with the showrunners. Because I yes. think it could be tough to navigate but not in an emotive way more in like a a theorizing practical way of like i want to talk about all these things and i'm not sure how to tie it all together but i feel like they navigated it 
I can't tell until I see it, but everything that we've been talking about, I feel like they're aware of. Yeah. So yes, I would consider it an adaptation because they know the world that Tolkien created and we're trying to bring that spirit. People also struggle with that word of yes. what that means onto a visual interpretation. Yeah. No, I, it's, um, there's much more to talk about. One of the things I look forward to doing is continuing this show when we don't have like super urgent rings of power stuff to talk so about. So much is out right um, now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'll be nice to just yeah. kind of be able to sit down with some of this stuff and look at some examples and uh, on everything. But um, And also the break between seasons. Yeah. I, that will be nice to kind of. It will be nice. It, we're going to be reactive while this show is coming out, but it ends in October sometime, yeah, October, right? October. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, we season one does. Um, but yes, I, um, we, I am hoping, by the way, to get uh, the Rings of Power showrunners, uh, J.D. Payne and Patrick Kay, on this show. Um, and I w- w- will hope to put some of this theorizing to them. We're going to have to make some notes think. first. I need yeah. bullet points to keep my yeah. brain straight. But uh, I would love to have this to see where to see yeah. their line of thinking uh, about this kind of stuff. Um, but um, we only have about 20 minutes left, so we should talk some, I think, about what is coming. because We need to cover a few bases. We do. There's a lot happening here, um, including, well, okay. So let's start with a simple thing. Um, we're, I, I don't think, know what order he's going yeah, in. I so I'm yeah, just... it's, 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 it's probably not even that simple. <laughs> Simplest thing, I think we're not going to be able to do the show next week because we're going to be traveling home from New York. Correct. Next week. Because next week on Tuesday, um, we are both going to be at the New York City premiere uh, for the Rings of Power, we're going to be seeing the first two episodes. Um, and a panel with showrunners. And a panel and... With, the, with the showrunners and uh, some folks afterwards. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll be freshly not able to talk about the first two episodes of the season. But we uh, will be that. together again. And we will yeah. um, have a recording of reactions and immediate things that we can build into this loveliness behind us. Yes, exactly. We should talk about that too. Exactly. That's exactly. That's the, that's the less Good. simple thing. Um, so yeah, so we're going to be in New York next uh, Tuesday for the big uh, New York premiere event. Um, but traveling home from that means we're not going to be able to do our normal uh, Wednesday time next week. So we won't be broadcasting next week, um, but we are doing other big things other big that things. are happening. So uh, we're uh um, you hopefully you've gotten a chance to see both the teaser trailer for uh, Rings and Realms and the teaser to the teaser trailer. Guys, we um, did it. We, we did our own oh, teaser yeah. and our own teaser of a teaser. Oh yeah, that's absolutely. I shouldn't say we. Uh, Studio Lab. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> we share Studio did Lab are amazing. They're doing just amazing work. So they're they're uh, uh, you know producing this show uh, with us, um, just enabling us to do things I've never we thought couldn't was have possible. Dreamed. So uh, just incredible stuff. Yeah. And um, we, uh, so the the Rings and Realms. So talk some about. Rings and Realms and what people can expect. So the the concept of the show. Let's get rid of this image between us first. So oh yeah, can, yeah, we've got yeah. the Balrog. Let's, like, let's Balrog just looks very Balrog. angry to yeah. talk about something let's fun and exciting. Yeah, let's talk about something fun and exciting instead. So the concept of the show of Rings of Realms is analysis, a little bit broader. We're not going to do quite the deep dive because the idea is that people have never heard of Signum or our lectures or other minds and hands or the Silmarillion, you know, any of these things might not even know what second age is. Yeah. So a little bit broader in terms of like setting the scene. Yep. 
but yeah. you try and stop Corey from doing a deep dive. So he'll stu- <laughs> still do a bit of a deep dive, but it's not interactive. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's produced. Yeah, this is going to be a produced, a, a, a produced, pre-recorded and edited um, discussion. Episodic show. Yeah, it's designed. So it's, it's like a reaction show in the sense that we're going to be releasing an episode after each uh, uh, episode drops uh, of The Rings of Power. It's not a reaction show in the sense that we're not going to be focused on just, you know. Wasn't it great when? Yeah. 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 Um, You know, what I call, uh, you know, gush and outrage. Uh, You know, those kind of the two extremes of reaction shows. Um, Instead, it's going to be it's going to be an analysis show, which. uh, We're emotive people. You'll still get a little of of gush and outrage. I'm not promising neutrality and dispassion. (laughs) I'm just saying that's not going to be our We'll try to be more analytical. Exactly. Exactly. Um, And and this is this also, by the way, then uh, influences the um, the release cadence of Rings and Realms as well. The plan is, um, you know, that one of the. Like sort of traditional modern Internet things, right, is like to be first to have the, you know, release the show right after the thing drops and everything. That's not us. That's not us. What we're going to be doing is, again, we're going to be doing some analysis. So, so the idea is uh, you can watch the Rings of Power show, you know, on when Friday. it comes out, on Friday, whatever, and then you um, you have a chance to re- respond, right? Kind of work through uh, your responses a little bit. You know, watch, with there's a whole bunch of great... Loads know, of reaction things are coming, coming out. out. Um and, uh, you know, so you can kind of work through it and think through it. And then um, we're going to drop the episode of uh, Rings and Realms on probably Wednesday. Probably Wednesday is, what is we're the thinking. For, so that you can watch it before, you know, so you've had almost a week to process uh, the episode uh, that came out before. Um, and then you watch the Rings and Realms uh, episode. And that also helps to kind of springboard you into um uh, into the next episode uh, there as well. But that's also still going to lead us into Other Minds and Hands. So like... Yeah. And Other Minds and Hands then will be the opportunity for us to discuss engage. with you guys. Yeah, to take questions uh, and things. So, because again, there's no live element. There's no... It's not It's not a podcast. It's not um, a... Uh, uh, you know, it's not going to be any chat room, right? It's just going to be... It's, it's gonna be more like a TV show than it's going to be like uh, um, like one of you know our normal broadcasts. So we will still do our normal broadcasts so that we can do some um, uh, longer chats and a little more yeah, informal Q&A and and have some guests and things like that. So yeah, the Rings and Realms show will be a bit more structured, uh, very high production because these guys are awesome. Um, and we'll have some assets from Amazon, which we're excited to share, but yep. really at the core of it is just going to be more of a thoughtful analysis, um, digging into structured believe it or not we're gonna have a little bit of a format for these shows but that will lead us into our informal discussion people have been teasing me when i said uh um i said oh yeah the episodes are going to be you 30 know to 30 to 60 minutes long um and uh uh James. I, I was going to say res- me. I was like, by saying, re- re- oh, so this is a comedy routine then, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, no, because there's, 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 there are people editing this. Like, that's the main, that's the difference. There's going to be a script. There's going to be, there's going to be editors. Well, there's going to be bullet points. Yeah, there's not a script. script. And more script than I usually. <laughs> and sadly, <laughs> I won't be next to him. I'll be back in the UK for this, but I figure like I'm going to be like the GPS guiding you through yeah. your bit and probably like the weatherman. 
company, dropped in to do a little segment on adaptation and then leaving. So, yeah, it'll be mostly be Corey giving you kind of a summary of what happened in that episode, me doing a little bit about adaptation and then Corey doing a deep dive into. Yeah. So it's the hope is that we can both serve as a kind of contextualization because, you know, it's one of the things that I don't want to lose sight of is that even Tolkien fans don't necessarily know the texts that this stuff is based on super well. Right. I mean, you know, because this is, this is, um, you know, and it's, and I've talked about this actually, this to me is one of the, one of the things that I'm most excited about big picture. Like when I step back from it and say, you know, I, I, um, in a sense, I don't care. I care less about the fact whether or not this show is good. Mm -hmm. Um, then I am excited for the kind of impact that it can have. Because I think, based on my experience, what we've seen, not only with the Lord of the Rings films, but even with the Hobbit films, which were bad, and yet still had a positive impact on Tolkien fandom and Tolkien scholarship in general. Um, And the thing that I think is really different about the Rings of Power show, the thing that I'm really excited about there, is uh, the reason I am glad, I will be glad for it to have been no matter whether it's good or not, is that there are a lot of people who like Tolkien. I'm sure there, there'll be many people who will be introduced to Tolkien for the first time, right? Um, and that's great. But also great, in my mind, are the people who have read the Lord of the Rings and maybe The Hobbit, and who, because they're stimulated by the Rings of Power show, start reading Unfinished Tales, yep. start reading Engage the Silmarillion, with the rest of the world. Um, and really kind of getting into some of that stuff. So yeah. I don't want to take for granted that even somebody who may really be a lover of Tolkien, um, I don't want to take for granted that they know all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, that's I don't know, half, I'm, I'm not sure, percentages, but that's part, that's a big part of what uh, we hope to accomplish in Rings and Realms is to kind of contextualize. contextualize. Yeah, so like, here's the episode you just watched. Let's talk about mm-hmm. why, how this fits, what, what this means in the Tolkien world and what, what Tolkien stuff they're drawing on here. And be. No, go ahead. And because I I can't remove all of this from like the actual production practice as well. This is also kind of an earth shattering production. We know it's the most expensive thing. We know it's five seasons, hour long episodes. This is one of the first structured things, the first thing structured like this in terms yes. of an art production. So I'm hoping analytically in my bit, I'll I'll take a little bit of the behind the scenes. How did this happen? I might not have inside info necessarily unless they share it with us, but. That is what I think piqued the interest of such a generation of filmmakers is watching all of the extended edition behind the scenes, Peter Jackson, the dialogues alongside. I really hope Amazon is taking advantage of that thirst and engaging in some of the behind the scenes and production practices because we're all very curious. But I'm also really like, (laughs) from a professional standpoint, how did you do this? Like, I want to see and, and how are you utilizing the text and the information that we have and the shared imagery that we all have in this community yes. of interpreters and receivers and dialoguers and triloggers and everything. And how is that being shown in a new way or a familiar way? Yeah. So yeah, all of this stuff I hope is going to be able to come together in this standalone episode. Yeah. And also it won't have dialogue between me and Corey. So that'll yeah. be different for us too. So yeah. we still want to have other minds and hands for the informal chat and the questions, but it might be a little more sporadic. It, it, will hopefully still follow on from these episodes, but. Right, right. Yeah, and um, so yeah, the other thing that I'm hoping, uh, you know, for me that I'm hoping that we can accomplish through uh, Rings and Realms is some 
some deep dive, mm-hmm. uh, some analysis. And that, I mean by that both some close analysis of the show itself, looking at some of the things that we see happening. Um, you know, like we spent a really long time talking about a trailer, for instance, to take, you know, a scene, a moment that really jumped out at us in the episode and say, look at what's going on here. Yeah. Look, look at what the story is doing. Um, and, but then also doing, looking at some of the the kind of uh, deeper Tolkien connections, some stuff that, um, you know, might not, you know, be transparent to to everybody. Stuff that that jumps out at me that I think is a really interesting engagement, because that's what I'm going to be looking at. You know, what I'm going to be what I'm going to be most interested to watch for, and what will make me most happy if it's good, will be the really kind of deep level interactions mm. with Tolkien's themes and ideas. Um, and so there will be times in there in each episode where I'm going to be wanting to draw attention to some of the things that I see. Uh, there are some of the things that I thought were really meaningful uh, uh, in their relationship with Tolkien. Whether again, whether I, whether it's good or bad, whether I, you know, whether I think it works well or doesn't work well, I'm, I'm sure there will be moments I'll be critical of as well. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, that's that's the other thing that I'm really hoping for. So we'll have some segments where we do sort of deeper discussion of smaller things or, or ideas or themes, and then some kind of bigger picture overview stuff. Because you can be certain that Amazon had the conversation, who is the audience? Who is this show for? And believe it or not, it is not for the people that have read absolutely everything and know every single detail about Tolkien and are well-versed in it. It is for them, but it's also for the rest of the world to enjoy. So being able to walk that line and pay service, but also keep it broad and open and accessible is a real skill. (laughs) Right. Um, And I think some people that say broad, open, and accessible, well, then clearly it's not hang on it could be (laughs) let's just give it a minute because it could be a really good show that still somehow serves the spirit which again like we said when we were in london that was the thing that we were assured pretty quickly that they understand the central themes of tolkien so i hope we see them represented yeah no i mean it's and it's going to be really interesting and there are going to be things i'm sure that they're attempting to accomplish through their adaptation that you know might not work for me, you know, or, or, or for us, you know, or that last trailer that came out that was hinting at romance. No, thank you. I mean, there are definitely some editing choices that are happening in some of the trailers right now that we're pretty yes. sure are not going to be in the show. They're doing that for engagement and reaction. Yeah. Um, so. um, yeah. If, um, uh, yes, <laughs> should, uh, should, uh-huh. should Galadriel and Halbrand hook up. Um, there will be strong language. Yes. There will be. There will be some yeah. words. There will be. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, th- I, but this is where I, I'm still waiting and seeing. Yep. I'm still waiting and seeing. Open um, mind. I shall not be drawn. <laughs> I shall not be drawn into strong language in advance. We will see. We will see what happens. Um, and I'm going to even attempt to, uh, uh, be, I mean, this is why I mean, you guys will remember, many of you will remember, um, uh, those of you who have been, um, you know, involved in our Signum community and in my podcast stuff since Hobbit film days and Riddles in the Dark days. You guys will remember how, if I could praise myself, valiantly, I withheld uh, conclusions until after the third film had come out. I mean, even after, yeah. after the first film and there were reservations and then the second film and there was alarm um, as it really seemed like it was not heading in a great direction at all. 
And you'll remember, I was still, I was ready to defend it. I was, I was talking about ways in which this could still come out. I'm going to be doing that again. Um, Because in my mind, it's again, it's the only fair way. Once you, once you give rein to the, that, the sort of the spirit, at least this is my own experience. Once I give rein to the spirit of complaint, once I start grumbling about things, I'm just grumbling. It's a lot easier to keep grumbling. Yeah. You just keep grumbling. And I'm not even really able to. Uh, analyze yeah. anymore because I'm just um, looking for the wrong, and mm. and I find myself in a yeah exactly I'm yeah. looking for the wrong to continue the grumble, and I find myself in like an emotive rather than an analytical place yeah. entirely right and they're like different parts of my head mm. so um, it's hard to continue doing thoughtful analysis when I'm when I'm griping, um, so I do so this is why again this is why I try not to gripe um this is why I don't voice a lot of concerns and especially now certainly before I've even seen the first yeah. episode I'm not going to I'm not going to do that and I know you know again lots of people those uh, are out there if you want them Let's, yeah, we're just yeah, going to avoid you can it find now. that but that's yeah. not what I do and uh so this is that's my little Sorry, not sorry, but I am not more critical, uh, but that's not me. And that's not my whole philosophy of how to approach any of yeah. this stuff. Um, so anyway, so yeah, but Rings and, Rings and Realms is going to be a really fun exploration. I think I'm really looking forward to doing that kind of a focused yeah. um, uh, discussion. And of course, I mean, this playground is going to be a lot of fun. Exactly. I'm like, we're used to like a dodgy PowerPoint slide. Like (laughs) this game's going to be nice. So some practicalities. There's going to be its own YouTube channel, its own Twitter account. It will have its own website. We're still figuring all this out and, and the information element. So I would just say, keep an eye on Twitter rings and realms, because that's probably going to have the most. Yeah. Um, So we would ask folks to uh, go and give uh, rings and realms a follow on social media platforms and on, um, uh, on YouTube for sure. Subscribe to the YouTube uh, channel. So the YouTube channel is where it's primarily going to live here. Uh, You know, for this first season and um uh and then we'll see but but we'll uh uh we'll um we're 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 having them as i say as uh, as separate channels and stuff right now so encourage people to um to uh check that out and the first episode drops on the 31st 31st we're so we're doing an intro episode first we're not prescient well we will have seen the first episodes by then but we are certainly not doing an analysis episode uh because uh they will come after us with tar and feathers if we do um uh before it drops i mean uh so what's going to be dropped on the 31st of august is going to be um an intro episode where we talk about um i, I get more just kind of setting the stage um we'll be talking about some of the issues that we discussed way back in the first episode of Other Minds and Hands, thinking about adaptation and thinking about, um, I'm going to be talking some about, you know, sort of the second age and trying to kind of set the context uh, within Tolkien's writings and what we know and what we don't know. Um, uh, not about the show. I mean, from Tolkien, what we know and what we don't know about the second age and stuff. Again, as if no one was familiar with this at all, they're just going to have yeah. a general overview of the yeah. tone of how we talk and what we're looking at. The text, the show, adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll be using some visuals and things from oh, the yeah. released materials and stuff like that. But um, so that will be the that will be the intro episode that's going to drop uh, on the 31st, as we said. Um, and then uh, and then we'll be most likely every Wednesday after that double episode first time, I suppose. Cool. And uh, that was my first thought. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> OK, uh, but yeah. Yeah, there'll be a lot to talk about. Let's just say this season is a learning curve for everyone. So, yeah, but we'll be around. We'll keep you posted. But 
definitely follow all of the new Rings and Realms stuff and uh, we'll keep you in the loop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So that's awesome. what's happening here. Uh, don't forget, we won't be around next week. So no live broadcast next week because we'll be, well, we'll be traveling home from New York, but um, it'll be right around the time of the normal broadcast. So I won't be able to be available for that. Yeah. Um, the next week, what's the next week? I think that's What's the, the date is that? The 31st, I think. Is it the 31st? Yeah. Oh, I think that's our goodness. first episode. Well, so it is. Well, that seems like a thing we should do. Um, well, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm driving down to Philadelphia we'll that day. We'll, we'll see how we go. <laughs> I might be somewhere else, apparently. <laughs> so who knows? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's we'll that. cross that bridge. So basically yeah. watch Twitter. Well, you know. Um, on much, all of our much sites. unfolding uh, uh, like I literally just found out about a place I might be a couple hours ago so I who knows who knows um, much changing quickly here so this show um, other minds and hands we're gonna need to be flexible yeah. with uh, because um, we have to be trying to fit it in yeah. around a whole bunch of other things but um, anyway yeah um, but we will try to collate it all I, I, I do think Twitter and probably the rings and realms website, and the YouTube channel are your best bets because yep. we'll put all the yep. information in those descriptions. So you can see once we have a schedule and something a little bit more regular, it'll yeah. all be posted there. Yeah. Thanks cool. gang. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for joining us for today, man. I'm just still like buzzing, buzzing from remember that. when Absolutely. John Howe was here. Yeah. Remember I know, right. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, and I hope so we good. can have him back. We're, you know, we were really keen to say uh, before we started of just this is scratching the surface of a general conversation of adaptation. So yeah. hopefully we can bring him in to talk because I, I would love to do a comparison of like, what was this like with Peter Jackson? What is this like now? Oh, but I don't know how much he'd like to do that as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be, we'll it'd be tricky. Yeah. It'd be tricky. But uh, anyway. Process. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. I uh, appreciate you and uh, we'll be, uh, we'll definitely, we definitely one way or another, sometime or other, we'll be figuring it out. Uh, we'll definitely You'll hear from us soon. be connecting <laughs> with you guys. Cause I'd love this opportunity to be able to, to talk with you folks. Uh, and there'll be so much to talk about. Um, so anyway, more soon and stay tuned, uh, uh, stay tuned for, uh, for the first episode at the very least that is certainly happening on the,